a Radio 191 FM podcast. In Otiputi, a local government stirs. Oh yeah! Every three years, the magnates of municipal management compete for the top seat. It takes some pain to wear the chains. Is it their fate to sit for an official portrait? This is 2019 Dunedin Mania. Yes, Miromania here on Radio 191 FM, the Otago Museum, a breakfast show. And this morning I'm joined by Andrew Wiley. Morena to you, Andrew. Good morning. How are we today? Hey, pretty good. Uh, got caught up in the traffic a little bit, but we got here. Yes, we'll be a little bit overloaded with the snow that fell last night. What a shock, what a surprise, but not really that much of a surprise. It is September. We it, do it, get snow. It is, correct. Yeah, I just yep. worry about those wee lammies out there. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. All those ones out on Lover's Leap where they live <laughs> and everywhere else around the city because we are, you know, a, a very beautiful uh, metropolitan area, but uh, rural at the same time, So, which which makes Dunedin a fantastic exactly. place to live. Exactly, that's it, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you're the only one here so far, so we'll start with an opening statement from you. Yeah, I'm Andrew Wiley. I'm running for the mayoralty of Dunedin. You know what? I really want to take Dunedin forward. My motto on my campaign is get Dunedin moving. It's really about housing, parking and traffic. We've got a housing crisis in the city. We don't have enough rentals. House prices are going through the roof. We need to build more houses. We have the land. Let's build more houses. Parking, there's just a huge issue with parking around the city. We've got 3,000 more cars on the road than what we did two years ago. That's contributing to what's going on around where we can park. We're losing parks through infrastructure upgrades and also through the uh, hospital rebuild. We're going to lose even more. People do need to use their cars to get to and from work. It's part of, their, part of our lives in Dunedin, and that's a big part. And then traffic. I've got a real issue, again, with the hospital rebuild. We've got George Street upgrade. We've got a number of things happening around the city over the next few years. We've still got to be able to get around the city quickly and efficiently. I'm a hands-on business approach type of guy. You know, what I get involved in the community. I'm chair of Volunteering Otago, uh, president of the Rotary Club, and I've been on council six years and actively involved as the chair of bylaw hearings. And also, I've been uh, on the community board for Saddle Hill and uh, Peninsula. So I'm really involved in the community. Practical approach, really focused on getting to need a moving. All right. Um, now, like you said, you've been on the council for six years, for two terms. Um, what, uh, if any, are the failures you see coming from the last term especially? And what would you have done differently if you were wearing the chains? I talked to a... A uh, one of our former mayors about this and I said how do you judge a good mayor and he says it's by the projects you got underway and you finished and you opened and I was out at Wakawai last night and they said well Dave opened the toilets of Waitati recently so you know what I'm sorry opening a toilet in Waitati <laughs> is an accomplishment I, I don't know you know what Dave has managed the city quite well over the last nine years mm-hmm. you know Mayor Cole does a, has done a really good job really good face presents the city really well the problem is we're now in a phase, uh, we're going to have the biggest building boom in the city since the 1880s, since the gold rush. There's a lot of things that are coming into play. This is the time for leadership. This is the time to really take charge of the city. And it's a time to listen and really bring in strong expertise. I'm the person that can do that. All right. Um, now, you've touched on transport already, um, but I want to go back to that because, you know, there have been a lot of changes to the infrastructure around transport in the city, uh, bus networks, et cetera, um, and more coming with the terms of the hospital upgrade that you said. Um, and, you know, we've already got a pretty overloaded system when it comes to peak times, as you experienced this morning. Um, and it could get far worse with that hospital upgrade uh, and, and other things. But, uh, you know, are we going on the right track? Are we going in the right direction? Uh, and what is your vision for moving to need? And how would... How do you, will you get it moving? Well, 
it's a combination of actually public transport, inner city housing, and, and, and density housing, and actually building more locally, so people can walk or lime or do whatever to uh, whatever modes of transport there is. But the the real essence of it is we actually need more car parking infrastructure. In this last term, council actually agreed to two projects where there was going to be parking involved in it. And that was all 15 um, people around the table agreed to this. That's 14 councillors and the mayor. And one was going to be uh, the ACC were going to build a building at the Frederick Street Car Park. That was all supported by the councillors. Another one was the ORC building at the Dowling Street Car Park. Again, more in car parking infrastructure. We get the infrastructure in place for to park cars, and there's third parties that will do it. It won't be council funds that need to do it. It's third parties will invest in this sort of infrastructure. That's a big part of it. Buses are going to be another big part. ORC have failed the city over the years in relation to the buses. We can actually get more people on the buses and using them. But the amount of times that my son and daughter would go to the bus stop and not know if the bus has come, uh, is it still coming, is it running late, what's going on, you get good bus technology, you know, it's not hard. You, you can track your pizza. You yeah. know, that's real simple technology, but you can't track your bus. We need that sort of infrastructure, uh, ability to do that. It's mainstream everywhere else. We need that in Dunedin. And people will then take the bus, use more public transport on that basis. Um, when it comes to parking, um, a lot of the people that are having issues with coming into the city and parking are people that work in here, and we're, it's all well and good and putting more car parks in and more car park buildings, but usually they're for temporary parking uh, while you're moving around the city and shopping, and it's quite expensive to park there all day. So what do you do about all-day parking for people that come in here to work in the city to get the economy going? Well, again, that's the sort of parking building infrastructure that I'm talking about. That's what would happen. Litchfield uh, car parking building in Christchurch was recently opened in 2017 at a cost of $32 million for 800-odd car parks. Distinction car park was opened about five years ago, uh, if that, and then that was cost of about 3 to $4 million. There's a lot of ways you can build car parking and the style that you build it in relation to how it works. Mm-hmm. So it can be a lot more long-term, all-day car parking. So to give you an example, I know of a business that's leaving uh, or has left Meridian Mall. They've moved to Vogel Street. They had 12 car parks at uh, Meridian Mall. They've left those 12 car parks because that was the closest parking they could find to their new premises in Vogel Street. Mm-hmm. So the, then you've got ACC, sorry, you've got MSD moving out of their building uh, in the next few months and going down to the exchange. So they're right now uh, at the end of the old Cadbury uh, where Polytech Beauty Therapy uh, Centre is in that complex there. That whole car parking building is going to be lost. Again, you're moving people around the city. We need more car parks. Okay, um, you're very business focused. Job growth uh, is a very is a top priority for you. Um, you know, we've seen hotels over the years being, uh, you know, maybe we're going to get a hotel here. Jing Song came in with a great cost zero for the city hotel. Um, uh, these are formed by the wayside. Um, oil industry wants to come here. Gas, uh, gas uh, industry. Gas industry, gas, oil. It's all this. Wow, well, you know, it's all carbon. <laughs> Um, things um, that large amounts of the population have said no to, let's be honest, uh, and if elected, would you be willing to put the wishes of those people by the wayside, a large proportion of the population to one side, uh, to add a few hundred jobs to the pool and at the same time take risks with our ecosystem and our natural heritage, which brings flocks of tourists to the city? Uh, I knew this question was coming. Okay, let's start with the hotel first. Um, that was a planning decision. It wasn't a, 
a community resentment decision or anything like that. So the last hotel development uh, that was turned down was because it didn't actually conform to the site. And they were being given the opportunity to come back and re-lodge. And I've talked to two of the um, people that were sat on that consent hearing. And I'm an RMA commissioner, so I understand the technicalities. What you could build on the site and how you could build it is what the key requirements are. And a bit like the old, the big tower, 28-storey tower development that you referred to about uh, a number of years ago, seven or eight years ago, that again was totally outside the planning per permissions of what was suited for that site. I understand there are three um, hotel plans on the books right now, uh, three different third parties that want to come and build a hotel in Dunedin. Um, I would expect within the next 12 months you actually hear at least one, if not two, of those going ahead. And I would say all uh, those two all would fit within the requirements of uh, being able to build and conform to the environment that they want to be built in. Mm -hmm. And that means not building a 28-storey high hotel in an area that's you know hugely weather exposed down by harbourside. Um, and it's going to be a total eyesore for the city. It's a case of making sure whatever you build blends in with the rest of the surrounds. It was 18 stories, but, you know. Oh, 18 stories. So, yeah, there we go. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 28. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, that would be, I knew it was, I put it, it dominated this, uh, dominated our landscape, yeah. Yeah, but what about the risk to our ecosystem when it comes to gas uh, exploration? Um, you know, we we value the, our peninsula, we value our wildlife. It brings flocks of tourists here and in turn creates a lot of jobs um, and jobs that uh, circulate money into the economy um, by those people spending money in, in, in the city. City. Um, but, you know, not only can we have eyesores on the horizon, um, but there was also, there's always risk involved. And whether or not you can minimize them as much as you can, there is always a risk uh, of, of whatever leaks or, or anything like that. Um, is it worth it for the creation of hundreds, maybe a couple of thousand jobs? Okay. So I'll take this in two stages. One, we look at our local ecosystem uh, and coastline and things like that. If you take what you've just said about the risk to our environment, I think you would say we don't want any shipping coming into our harbour at all because the risk of a ship running aground coming into our harbour has got actually higher than if any offshore exploration. So I think that's the first part. You know, If you think of a ship ran aground, hit the heads, whatever, coming through, and it's a very tight channel, Yes. And, and so if you had something like that, that would have a huge impact on our ecosystem. But so, those ships are very, very necessary. I mean, oil isn't, or gas isn't. But but again, you look at what's coming down the harbour. We've actually got ships coming with fuel on them, mm -hmm. coming in. So, so there's always a potential issue somewhere, somehow. And, that, and I, I'm actually really more concerned about the shipping channel than I am about offshore exploration. To go to offshore exploration, we're talking anywhere from 40 to 140 k's out to sea. It's gas exploration they're after. They're not after oil, and this is what really drives me nuts, is that if you look around the world, I totally understand and agree with a lot of the commentary around we've got too much oil. <coughs> Excuse me. Too much oil, and actually, do we need to dredge up any more? And the U.S. now exporting their oil. So when we start looking again, if we found a big uh, oil find off our coast, they actually would probably not even really look at it. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot more oil easily accessible to get to markets than off our coast. Mm -hmm. We're one of the, the furthest points away. We're, why were they looking at the gas is because the gas field, and they know there's a gas field out there. Can they find it? Anadarko came very close a few years ago. What's going to happen is they're doing the exploration well, 
and they're going to see, and it's going to be um, later oh, late in, later this year, and there's a lot of potential in what that's going to have. The potential of that field is essentially the royalties and taxes that will be paid to the government are going to be $32 billion. Mm-hmm. Now think of it in the sense that that would pay for 20 Dunedin hospitals to be built. And you then look at what's happened in the Taranaki economy and how the Taranaki economy has thrived over the last 20, 30 years. Jobs and the whole lifestyle. Um, yes, but now they're going onshore and fracking, which is causing... I, you know what? I, fracking I'm not supportive of. Um, all right. Um, now, climate change has been called this generation's nuclear-free moment by central government. The science is there. Uh, we've called a climate emergency. Do you agree with this? Uh, and if so, what needs to be done uh, to protect our, um, you know, our vulnerable areas in terms of sea level rises? Uh, and if you don't agree with it, why not? Okay. So we went through the annual plan process in um, May where we put everything on the table, what needed to be looked at over the next uh, year, and then that feeds into our long-term plan. Mm-hmm. A lot of council processes. Yeah. Through that process, we uh, agreed to fund $1.1 million into a climate change uh, department inside council that where everything over the next two years would be vetted and gone through, and we would actually uh, go through essentially a climate change lens. Totally supported that. I su- I've supported a number of different thing- motions that have come through on climate change and, and Dunedin doing something about it. The problem I had, and I didn't vote for the climate emergency, mm-hmm. is actually quite simple. And I want to just digress for a minute, and sorry about this. You know what? I can't sit, have dinner at home with my 18-year-old daughter and my 21-year-old son <laughs> and my wife without being hammered on climate change. You know, we see it every night on television, okay? We see it every day in the paper. It is a very relevant issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have a climate emergency that's presented to our table, okay? The government has said 2050. A motion comes to our table says 2030. We've already gone through all our budget plans and processes to say this is what we're doing within council. Something comes out of left field, and all of a sudden we're going to say, bang, we're going 2030. No one can tell me how we're going to meet those targets of 2030. Nobody can tell me how we're going to finance that. What's the cost? The government, I understand, have been told 2050 is their goal. They're probably looking more like 2060. The technologies that we need to get there are coming. But the biggest thing that really concerns me is Dunedin is not a typical urban environment. We are 5% urban. We're 90%, 95% rural. Mm-hmm. So when we talk, look at our, uh, our carbon footprint, 40, 48% of all emissions are rural. They're farming. Okay. Farmers are getting really good at what they're doing, and that's changing. But what we're trying to do is actually let's focus on what we can do in the city. Let's go down that pathway. Council had a plan. But I'm real, I, I don't support any decision that comes to the table that we can't actually contain, look at dollars, and really look at the, all the factors that come up. Good decisions are made with good information. Okay, um, and final question before we get to your closing statement. Um, this one has always been kind of important to me because I'm a born and bred Dunedin Knight. Yep. I remember, um, you know, going to town with my mother, having lunch at Decker, uh, <laughs> you know, you yep. know, yep. Uh, my ham sandwich, my pie, um, my milkshake, uh, going to Penrose's, uh, DIC, all, all those places, you know. I mean, it was a really strong, um, vibrant area. Now it's kind of stagnated. And I also, you know, I'm a South Dunedin boy, so I got my shoes at Thomas's Shoes, mm-hmm. you know, which is just, you know, they're closing. Yeah, yeah. You know, after how many years? Uh, they were Wolfton and Russell, yep. you know, open for, for a hundred years, now gone. Um, you know, what do we do to bring back people to shopping local? You know, you, you've got young children, you'll know they shop online. 
no doubt, probably. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah the courier loves our place. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But how do we keep those dollars in, you know, circulating with our own economy? How do we revitalise uh, the centre city and, and places like South Dunedin and Mosgiel? Okay, so first off, um, I am supportive of the George Street upgrade. I didn't, couldn't understand why we're spending $60 million on it when I thought $35 million was enough. George Street is probably one of the most, is if not the best main street in New Zealand. And a big part of that is actually traffic flow. I think we could take it down to one-way traffic and keep it moving, but you have to have motion. You have to have flow through it, and I think it could be a really good main street and maintain the vibrancy of it. When you look at the rest of Dunedin, I actually one of the problems is council to me over the years has given up on South Dunedin, but I think after the South Dunedin flood, we've actually gone and actually looked back on it, and I think there's a good chunk of us at council that go, we want to invest in South Dunedin. We know the infrastructure hasn't been supported. So when that when you don't start supporting the basics and the infrastructure and show people you've got faith in them, they lose faith in their own community. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think council's got to show these areas some love. One of the things I would love to see is I'd love to see some of the startup spaces actually move out into a, like a South Dunedin. I would like to see, for example, we're going to have an issue with the arts people and they're losing their hub and a lot of their studio space in uh, Lower Stewart Street. Moving those people into South Dunedin and some of those areas, because there's a real good creative vibe. It's a great place to get lunch. You can get probably the best lunch deals in town. you know. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of really interesting activity taking place. And also, when you go one block back from those areas. It's amazing. Caversham's another one. Like, Caversham, to me, is a resurgence. It's going to be, like, the next um, really uh, growing um, suburb. Yeah, they've got a really good community down there. Yeah, that are do- some really, good vibes happening. Yeah, yeah, doing some really great things. All right, um, well, thank you for that, Andrew. I'm going to leave you now with your closing statement. Um, why should we vote for you? Well, again, pretty much Dunedin needs a new direction. We've got, a, we've got the mayor standing down. It's really a choice of how do we move the city forward. I want my my kids, I want grandkids to be growing up here in Dunedin. We've got a great lifestyle, we've got a great environment, and we've actually got a really good vibe for around the city. I love Dunedin. I moved here in 2003. You know what? Let's get, let's really get Dunedin moving. Thank you. How many councillors were born here? I mean, how many of the people running for mayor were born in Dunedin? Do you know? One, I think, two? No, I, think <laughs> about, I think there's about three or four. But it's I, I, I very was, low. Hey, I was born in Wellington. You know what? I tell you what, to me, Dunedin is like what Wellington was in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, very so, yeah, true, very true. Know. All right, Andrew Wiley, thank you so much for that, and good luck. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.